Another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. Thank you, everybody, for the downloads, listening to the podcast, sharing music with us, being all around wonderful, great people uh, that like to listen to us for some reason. We're very grateful for that. And with me always is Jason. What is going on, man? Hey, I'm um, happy to talk to you tonight and, and, and not talk to people I normally talk to. I no, just kidding. <laughs> but it is good to talk to you. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good. Well, you know, like the life outside of your, you know, your life outside of work, it's like, it's where you customize your life and you get all like the like-minded people and people that's yes. effortless to get along with. And then you go to work and it's not quite like that. It's sometimes. Well, but. you know, some days are people are more needy than others and you have to do more talking and yeah. that's, I just get tired. It sounds, it sounds like I'm natural, Brian. I'm not. I have to work <laughs> hard to be like, yeah. to be like this. Yeah. So um, we have started, or I have started, we've started, I've started. You started. started. Yeah. You've started. I was very uh, surprised to find out that the Kentucky Headhunters don't have a fan Facebook group. Which is crazy. And, These guys yeah. have Grammy Awards. They've been around for a long time. Yeah. You know, and I was, you know, very fortunate that we're able to, you know, chat with greg on a regular basis and you're semi-regular basis and i asked him and he's like he talks about how those guys aren't too tech savvy and uh he goes well maybe someone you should start one so i'm like what the hell i'll do it and it's been a great response and we're getting people that from that area that that know all those guys and have known them for a long time so let's go next of kin fans of the kentucky headhunters uh i i think i'm pretty sure you can just do like a facebook search and there's usually the option to join group does like any other facebook that's right yep correct so um you know sometimes i try to invite through our group and sometimes the facebook is kind of like space odyssey 2000 you know like with hell what are you doing dave i can't (laughs) let you do that dave you know and it's like okay i guess i can't invite as many people as i'd like to so you guys can uh, uh search that up hit the uh um join group and you know you're in as always i don't really have many rules you know don't be a dick is basically about it don't be a dick i mean it's there to talk about music and enjoy (laughs) stuff don't get political and all the other nonsense that we have to deal with outside of our safe space so like just just be enjoy the music and be cool so before we get into a theme so to sport so to so to sport so to sport before we get into a theme coca-cola seven up soda sport are you calling me sport soda sport (laughs) soda sport so to speak before we get into a theme so to speak it's now time for show alerts with jason johannes show alerts 
with Jason Johannes. All right. I love this section. Thank you, Brian. Uh, we get to talk about some shows coming up here right, right now and in the near future. I want to bring up uh, most of these will be friends of the podcast. So uh, this Saturday, October 23rd. So you're listening to this podcast on Friday, October 22nd, but on October 23rd at Littlefield in Brooklyn, we have the Jane Lee Hooker uh, video release party. So go out if you're in that area of Littlefield in New York, go out and check out our friends in Jane Lee Hooker and their brand new music video. Brian, I, I hope we get an album release from them soon. I, I think one's coming. I haven't heard any dates, but this is a music video release party. So that's Saturday. Um, coming to my neck of the woods uh, in Ohio in December, uh, December 17th, our buddies, Them Dirty Roses, with hope to be our future friends, the Josephines coming back uh, to the um, the tavern, the, the uh, Woodlands Tavern in downtown Columbus, where I've seen Them Dirty Roses twice already. So looking forward to that one. I have a question about that because you mentioned like, uh, you know, the, the Janie Hooker should be coming out with a record soon. Mm-hmm. Them Dirty Roses have been releasing songs. Now, I don't Every know month. if it's confirmed if they got like a full record coming out. I don't think we've ever like known for sure no last time we spoke to andrew they were releasing songs and at some point they would have an album but about every month they've been releasing a new track since summertime and uh i'm digging i've dug every new track that they've released really good a lot more of a rock sound um a little you know not as much country which there was nothing wrong with the first album but a little bit more rocky don't digging it Oh, they're a great, just straightforward rock band, and they got the, the country flavor in there a little bit. They got a southern rock flavor in in there a little bit, and they're just a okay in our book, and I think everyone else's book as well. Yeah, damn good rock band. Yep, and, and kind of last to talk about show alerts, at least for now. Um, our buddy Dave O'Grady from Seafoam Green hit me up this morning and said, since uh, some of our uh, COVID restrictions are now pulled off uh, for vaccinated European friends his band is coming over in the fall is going to look to do some shows around the southeast and maybe the midwest so he's going to let me know when they have dates we'll post them something real cool he's going to do too is if somebody wants a private show they're able to hire him in the band in between gigs he's looking forward to doing that at reasonable prices so i'm waiting to see where they're going to play if they're coming in where now me i may just get some friends together and have have seafoam green go play a show and in my hometown we'll see that would be great. I mean, talk about, you know, we talk about how we go, we have our across the pond episodes and they're coming. He's a coming, they're coming to us. The pod. That's right. The, pod, the pond, the pond, the pond or the pond uh, our way. So, and just on a quick side note, like we've been discussing, like taking an extended uh, uh, journey across the pond with a lot of bands that were coming across. Yeah. We got some new, we got some new, new people hitting us up, people that we're finding out about. There's a cool band out of the Netherlands, uh, Copperhead County, um, which it's, they sound a little bit like Leonard Skinner. I'll be honest with you. When I heard mm-hmm. them, I'm like, what's a Dutch Southern yeah. rock band sound like? I'm like, it sounds like American Southern mm-hmm. rock. So I, I'm digging that. And then Brian, I got one last show alert that I can't forget. Cause it's our friends, uh, Lizzie Edwards with Lizzie and the makers. Yep. They have a new album dropping November 5th. And a release show at the Cutting Room in New York on November 10th. So we've got an album to look forward to and a CD release party or an album release party for Lizzie and the Makers. And I think, Brian, we may try to get them for an album release show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's something we might do. 
And we have two people, Lizzie and Rob Cloris, who's in the band, who we both have on. That's so So. awesome that Rob's in the band. Yeah, and he's got a new single coming out in November, November 10th or 12th for his Split Second Meltdown band, which we love. They sound like a 90s alternative rock band. Love them. We'll look forward to that. So uh, we're going to get into a little bit of a theme here. We were talking before uh, the intro here about these days you see a lot of people you know, you know, musicians and whatnot that lived in like Los Angeles and places like that for so long, of course, have been gravitating towards Nashville. And it's been going on for a lot of years. And when we were uh, there at the expo and we're driving around and and uh, David Hudson from the state of America had mentioned that that like in uh, Franklin, Tennessee is where a lot of these people live. It's a little more of a, uh, you know, wealthier area or something like that or that's just kind of they're all like you know living out in the country and stuff i mean like dave mustaine's out there and you know i've seen like a little bit of pictures from uh, rich and he's playing Mm -hmm. acoustic like on a stool in a porch and that looks like a rural area and you know so many people have have, have moved there and you know mick mars and tom Kiefer, and of course you mentioned dave mustaine and cheryl crow's out there. cheryl crow yeah and uh just a lot of people rex brown from pantera i think he i'm not sure but i know he cut a record there but it makes uh, sense it, it it's just for me being from a rural area i like to see that that the rural areas are, are representative represented by rock and roll represented by country represented by a southern rock uh it's 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 great to see and and you know in my some of my earliest memories you know 77 78 79 i think that was probably like the tail end where you could still hear actual authentic country mm-hmm. before it turned into tractor country and you know uh music industry corporate bro country um country is the new pop yeah so like i can relate to you know uh you know, that authentic country sound. And, and I get a little concerned about myself because like when I was young, I'm like, I'll never like country music. I'll never, <laughs> you know? And of course I don't like, you know, all the cheesy crap and, you know, I shouldn't say any bands cause we don't want to be ripping on people, but you get the gist, but you know, uh, there's, there's bands out there, you know, mention like uh Blackberry Smoke and Whiskey Myers or a couple like, okay, that could be a country song, but yeah. it could be a rock and roll song. And there are some blues in there too. But uh, even more so than that is our guest coming up, and that would be Richard Young from the Kentucky Headhunters. And I remember we were talking like the night before, chatting a little bit, and I was talking, well, Dumas Walker, man, that, that's like a blues song. Yep. And then you'll find out a little bit more about that. Um, and uh, just they're a band that so much exemplifies that the further you go back in time, the more there was, you know, genres weren't stuck in lanes. Yeah. And and we talk about that as a goal in the podcast to hopefully get, you know, people to think about, you know, once upon a time, there was country and rock and roll and blues and gospel and all that stuff intersected down in the Southeast. And they're just a great band that, that just uh, really shows that flavor. Yeah, and like Richard said a lot of the stuff that Greg did too, and like how these guys were well in the rock and the blues, like the Zeppelins and and all that, and the blues greats, and then somehow they got, you know, they moved to this country genre for a couple records, but a lot, most of their records have been rock, rock, blues rock albums, including this new one that's coming out, 
here today or Friday, you know, when the 22nd, when this podcast comes out and it's, you know, I think people might've slept on them for some of the country or more country mm-hmm. stuff than, than, but if you listen to the whole catalog, it's some really good rock and blues out there that fit right in with what we're doing on this podcast. Yeah. And it, it reminds me, you know, I'm just getting into them now. They're almost like a new band to me. And I, I remember like a long time ago hearing an interview with Chris Robinson. He was talking about like, you know, you know, now someone our age at that time, back in the nineties, when they're in their twenties, whatever, like maybe from listening to the black crows, they heard about like little feet and you go out and get the first mm-hmm. little feet record. And that's like a brand new band to you. Yep. So that's kind of what I'm experiencing with the headhunters. It's like, you're almost like a brand new band to me. And it's just, it's pretty wonderful. Well, we knew all the hits, right? And their Grammy award winning album stuff, which is, is more country than rock. But again, they moved past those first two albums to do more of a blues, blues rock band, Southern rock band with some country flavor. So I'm, I'm like you, I've discovered them late and recent and I'm enjoying what I hear. I love the new track, the single off this new album that's coming out. And that's what we're going to talk to, you know, getting to Richard a little bit on that one and, uh, you know, why he's on there. So I can't wait to hear the rest of the album. Yeah. And, you know, you guys are going to hear some great stories, man. Like we, these guys are going to be on again and again, and and they're very enthusiastic and interested to do that, you know, come on and be with us. So welcoming to us and make us feel part of all that. And it really is a blessing and it's a, uh, Really great feeling, and I hope you guys feel that way, too, after you hear our very interesting, hilarious, and wonderful, amazing conversation with Richard Young from the Kentucky Headhungers. Welcome to the guest segment of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. As you know, I always throw it over to my buddy Jason to tell you guys who our guest is today. Thank you, Brian. Very excited once again to welcome our guest this week, a Grammy winner, a member of a legendary rock blues band out of Kentucky. It's Mr. Richard Young from the Kentucky Headhunters. How are you doing, Richard? Oh, wonderful, guys. Uh, Brian, Jason, so glad to be here with y'all. Um, as I was telling y'all before we came on, is I've I've taken on quite a bit, I guess, releasing two albums, which we can talk about both later. One is ours and one of the George Thunderbolts. And it's a, a bit of a job. So I barely got me a shower before we got on. So we'll be <laughs> you watching. appreciate the time. What little, yeah, what little hair I got left, we'll be watching it dry. As we go it's on. more than I have. It's more than I you have, know, man. I'm telling you, man, I, 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 was, I, I was one of those guys that uh, – I always minded the teachers and everything would trim my hair and stuff till I got to be 14. And then finally I just said, you know what, this is what I'm going to be. So I got to do it. And our dad was a school teacher and he stood behind me and my parents and everybody. So, but, and I always had great rock and roll hair, you know, but about three or four years ago, 
I just, as I got older, I started uh, thinning. But you know what? I have no qualms about it because, hey, I had great hair for a long time. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to look like my dad in his 70s. So, and some people okay. never have great hair. So, you know, you just appreciate what you have. Well, uh, that's about the reason I say that. I don't say, say that to, to be big on myself. It's about all I got. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I didn't get to Clint East, the, uh, the uh, chin, but I've always been so heavy. It wasn't prominent enough to make any difference. <laughs> so I just stuck with the hair. <laughs> right on. Well, let's get right into, uh, you know, how you got into music and, and then, you know, how that formed the Itchy Brothers, Kentucky Headhunters, so on and so forth. Sure. Well, <clears throat> you know, in 1964, like every other kid uh, down the block, or the, well, we don't have blocks. We live out in the woods. But uh, uh, the uh, we saw the Beatles on television. To be honest with you, our, our TV was on the blink, of course, black and white. And mm -hmm. uh, just up the road from my parents' house, we kind of live in the uh, there's a road called James Howard Young Road, which is our father. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a horseshoe around our farm that goes out and meets the main road. So it's, it's quite uh, back in the woods, so to speak. Not, no, people don't live down there, just us. And, you know, I forget sometimes that now they blacktopped it, that I'm going to have to, I got to quit parking in the middle of the road, talking <laughs> on the phone, doing interviews and things. Because other people do like to cut through, you know, a shortcut. But uh, anyway, my grandmother, if young or Fred and I's grandmother, bought uh, an extra hundred acres to add on to our farm, which uh, we live on a, the family farms about 700 acres. And uh, part of it was a part of a, uh, a, a, a piece of property that was given to our many, many, many great grandfather by uh, Nathaniel Green at the end of the Revolutionary War. And 200 and something acres of that is still part of that property. So, but it's very secluded and nice and everybody loves it down on the Creek. And anyway, my grandma bought this land and it had a neat little old quaint clapboard farmhouse that sat right on Beaver Creek there. And uh, people wanted called her and said, Hey Effie, so we want to rent that house. And she didn't want to fool with that. So we had just started really maybe a year before or something, six months been, honing in our music skills in my parents' house. And obviously we were driving them crazy with drums, guitars, amps. So my grandmother got the great idea. If she let her grandsons and her, their two cousins use that house, that, that they could, she wouldn't have to feel bad about telling the neighbors she didn't want to rent the house. And that was 1968. And still today, we still use it to, as a rehearsal place of writing and also a place, a landed strip where we want to get together and, and uh, conjure up ideas for the band. Same thing for Blackstone Cherry, you know? So uh, that's kind of where Itchy Brother got started. And <clears throat> because we did have such a great landing strip and we had a place to go to, um, naturally we were in school, so we didn't get to do it much during the week, but on the weekends, we'd be in there honing out our skills, listening to uh, old bands like Cactus and Led Zeppelin, Free, mm -hmm. Stones, Beatles, obviously. Uh, all those bands, and we started writing original material almost right off the bat. So, um, Itchy Brother uh, got pretty good pretty quick. So it was kind of funny. You couldn't do it today, probably, but but uh, I think Fred and Anthony were eleven when we started, and maybe I was 
13 and Greg 14. So none of us had a driver's license, but we got, we were lucky enough that, uh, there's a, the, a town not far from us called Bowling Green, Kentucky, mm-hmm. which is where the Corvette museum and, um, you know, the, they make Corvettes and all that where the hole fell in, you know, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, lost a lot of nice cars. Yes. Yes. Back in the seventies, the early seventies, uh, that was a hotbed, a college hotbed for Southern rock. And so there was a bar there called the yellow hydrant. And, uh, the guy that owned it, J.R. Spillman, bless his heart, would actually let us come and play and open for some of the acts that were coming off of Capricorn Records, like uh, the Outlaws, Charlie Daniels, all those things. So here's these kids, like 14 years old, 12, you know, uh, getting a chance to do that. And at the time, it, it was great to get to do, but at that point, those other bands had not caught on. You know, they were just coming out with albums like Charlie and those guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but as soon as we played, the, the Hydrant had a, uh, it had a back door to load up to the stage from the street. So it was hot in the summer. They didn't have good air conditioning. So they would leave that door open, load in, big wide door. And so we would jump off the stage, get our gear. Then we'd stand there and peer in behind the bands and watch them because we weren't really allowed or supposed to be in a, a bar. And, uh, of course our parents drove us because none of us had driver's license. And then as we, uh, started to get our driver's license then we, we moved on to Louisville and Birmingham and Atlanta and, and, uh, my grandmother, Effie brought us all, uh, bought us an old, uh, it looked like a bread truck. It was actually a, uh, step van, <clears throat> 22 foot step van. And we'd tear out. Sometimes daddy would let us skip school on Friday so we could play Friday night. And we'd drive to Atlanta, Birmingham, wherever, Southern Illinois, somewhere, and play for the weekend and then come back home. And, uh, you know, I always, I always thought it was funny that uh, this phone is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a popular man. <laughs> nah, it's not that. It's just we got an album coming out. Right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and when we got, uh, when we all graduated from high school, uh, some folks brought us down to, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and moved us down there and recognized our, I guess, our talent and were grooming us, uh, to possibly be on Capricorn Records, uh, and which was huge for us kids. Yeah. You know, we'd never been, we'd been to cities, but we'd never lived anywhere but in our own beds at home. And as far as, you know, staying except weekends. And so all of a sudden we made the big move to Atlanta and, uh, things were going quite well. And then Capricorn, about that time, it was uh, 76, 77, you know, things started to wane a little bit, not only with the label, but Southern Rock, I guess. And uh, then when <clears throat> uh, Leonard Skinner's playing, uh, Ronnie and those guys crashed in October of 77, we kind of looked at each other and went, you know, we've been down here a while. This is not going to happen right now, probably, with because really – at that point, Leonard Skinner was carrying the torch for all of Southern Rock. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of just wilted everything. So we packed up the truck and came home and, uh, you know, licked our wounds because it was disappointing. And then about a year later, <clears throat> we were down at my parents' house. It had come like an 18-inch snow over the weekend, and we couldn't go anywhere except to trek back and forth to the music house. And we were down at Mom and Daddy's and... 
uh, mom always had great food cooked and that sort of thing. And we went up in, in the, one of the front rooms and we got to looking at, we had one of those old time stereos, you know, the big, like you take three men to pack it. Down yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the TV in it and all this, but sounded great. Matter of fact, the first time we ever heard a whole lot of love was on that big wooden console. Wow. That wow. was awesome. WLS in Chicago. And it was like, whoa what who is this you know <laughs> and uh so uh the house has big 10 foot ceilings so that even added to the excitement of the volume and uh so we said you know we're stuck in the snow let's start you know we got some great original songs let's start looking through at the record labels and see who we might call well boys <clears throat> we came up on swan song records led zeppelin's label and we mm-hmm. said these would be some good guys to call this call well shows you we knew absolutely nothing about the record business (laughs) it was friday afternoon at six o'clock in new york city nobody's at a record company at six o'clock and at night they're out getting ready for their weekend Mm -hmm. well anyway if you ever at swan song uh they had the top one of the top floors of rockefeller plaza the whole floor uh and when the doors opened up, there was a lady sat there by the name of Helen at the, at the, in the lobby. And she kind of would remind you of Colonel Clink's secretary. <laughs> that tells you yeah. Nobody was going past Helen. So uh, anyway, that night, Mitchell Fox, uh, a guy the same age as me who worked for Led Zeppelin in the record company there was leaving to go home late. <clears throat> and he, uh, couldn't he can't resist to pick up a phone and he picked up the phone and i got him on there and kept him on for 30 minutes uh talking uh you know about our band and this and that and uh at that he he loved the idea but actually our sister was in new york dancing at mimi gerard dance school she had won a scholarship from college there and and I told her about it and she said, well, I'll just go see the guy. And you'd have to know our sister. Number one, she, she looks like she's not Ken DeFray enough. Uh, you know, <laughs> she's pretty good looking. So yeah. <laughs> uh, our, actually our parents and, and, and our sister are, they're more Brooks brothers and we're more like, you know, overalls, <laughs> you know, or something that explains it t-shirt. Yeah. And, uh, rebellion of children of course is can be a great thing uh but anyway she went to see mitchell and he he, he said well, well you know i mean the guy sounded good on the phone his sister's good looking maybe i'll go down and see him play so he called me and came to louisville kentucky to see us at a place called soundstage and uh which is today still my favorite rock bar of all time mm-hmm. it's just a, a great big uh whiskey distillery with a catwalk along the top and the stage set dead center and i don't think i've ever found a room that was set up any more properly for rock and roll and you, you had to kind of imagine because <clears throat> the, the the it went the, the these whiskey distilleries there were a lot of storage uh warehouses along the river and the river went like this so when you were uh on main street you would actually walk into the sound stage and if you went around the corner down to the uh, next street by the river, you had all these quaint bars, and one of them was called Great Midwestern Music Hall. But uh, I'll tell you that story in a minute. That's where I saw Muddy Waters. Wow. That's a pretty neat wow. story, yeah. 
Nice. <clears throat> but um, anyway, Mitchell came to see us, and he was your your average New York twenty one year old Jewish boy that worked for Led Zeppelin. You know, I mean, obviously that's pretty uh, cool thing, and uh, Mitchell has a very distinct voice like this, you know. And he said, "I'm going to fly down and see you guys." And I want to get taken back to the airport to fly back on the red eye to New York. And actually we wound up pushing him through the turnstile three days later. (laughs) We actually actually immediately became friends. Yeah. And, uh, we've been, we've been together ever since 1978. Wow. Mitchell doesn't fully manage. Well, it was always he and I that managed the band together, but, you know, I couldn't say I was a manager. I had to say I was chief cook and bottle washer because the rest of the guys wouldn't allow it, you know. <laughs> and uh, a few years ago, Mitch, Mitchell semi, semi-retired and opened a restaurant in Nashville. So uh, I've been handling all the uh, bottle washing by myself since then. But he and I talk two or three times a week. So anyway, long story short, Mitchell, Mitchell fell in love with the band, went back and took our little um, – he actually recorded us on a blaster, you know, mm-hmm. uh, one of those little street carrying things yeah, yeah, and took it back to New York and played it for all the guys in the New York office and they loved it. And so that we started working with them and doing demos and we, they had Mitchell actually went to, there's a book out, <clears throat> which is a very interesting story. Um, it's, it's about Led Zeppelin's manager, Peter Grant, yep. the greatest rock manager we own. If you haven't read that book, you ought to really get it because you get to see how a guy who sold popcorn and swept up popcorn in theaters and wound up managing one of the biggest bands of all time. And uh, But it actually tells this, this story in there uh, about us, about Itchy Brother. <clears throat> Mitchell, <clears throat> they finally the rest of the label said, okay, you got to go see Peter with this. Well, you know, I don't know how many people know this, but if you've seen the Led Zeppelin movie, yeah. Peter could be feared. He's a big dude. Big, <laughs> He's big, a big dude. Yeah. He's got the power to pack it up in the mouth, but or did rest his soul. But um, so Mitchell called Peter and he said, Peter, I want to come over and play you this band that uh, we've discovered in our got some demos on them. I'm going to play you. So Peter flew him over, put him up in some Ritchie hotel and had a driver drive him out to the Peter's castle, I guess, or whatever it was. And, uh, Peter and the guy Mitchell went to the door. Nobody knocked, not, not finally. He just turned the doorknob open and walked in and sat down thinking Peter would come by. And he kept hearing some guy walk around upstairs. And this isn't now we're now we're on to the second day. Mitchell is there in the house, has not seen Peter. Peter's upstairs. And uh, so finally, some guy comes, the house cleaner or whatever, and said, hey, uh, where's Peter? And he goes, well, he's upstairs. Has he not been? That's anyway, Peter never did come down. And, and hmm. so finally, there was a phone that the downstairs could call upstairs and he picked up the phone and uh this is all in that book and he says peter i've been down here for two or three days it's mitchell that works for the boys i mean uh you coming down i'll be down in a few minutes well he calls back and talks to the other guy and said 
tell Mitchell to go back. I need him in New York and leave the tape in the fishbowl. <laughs> fishbowl. Well, anyway, <clears throat> come to find out, Mitchell came back, and just a few days later, we got the sad news that John Bonham passed. Mm. So there, you know, it's a it was it threw us into shock, yeah, you know, because we were, you know, very hopeful kids and that sort of thing, and we, of course, were very sad about John Bonham passing, and then to know that, that the label would be dissolved and there wouldn't be a Zeppelin mm-hmm. was almost unthinkable. Right. And, uh, but anyway, in later years, I guess, and it tells about this in the book that, uh, that, uh, somebody mentioned <clears throat> went through the book to the fishbowl. It really was a fishbowl with cassette tapes in it. And they found like you two, um, Wow. <laughs> Metallica. Wow. All these demos Jeez. that were sent. Wow, good story. Right back. Yeah. And uh, they never got heard. Wow. That is so, crazy. Uh, anyway, if someone had t- still told me in the 70s that we were going to put an album out and it was going to come out in country music and, and change the laugh them out of the road because we were just such staunch rockers. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. Now, uh, so, um, lo and behold, I mean, we, we continued as itchy brother. And, uh, then in 1986, we got up the courage. We thought, well, we just got to try it one more time, you know, and Anthony, our other cousin, our mothers or sisters, uh, who's like a oh, monster bass player. If you can imagine John, John Inwhistle meets Paul McCartney or something and beyond. And, uh, he, uh, he decided he'd just gotten married and had a steady job during the week. We were just playing weekends and uh, he decided not to make a go of it. So Greg uh, had been playing some with a guy named Doug Phelps and a rockabilly country act and uh, backing him up and to make money. And uh, he introduced us to Doug Phelps. And so naturally, since we've been together for 20 something years, the thought of someone else taking Anthony's place was almost um, no, can't do it. So we agreed to go see Doug and it's odd. It's a very odd thing. What was going on is Greg and his, the guy he was opening or working for at the time, uh, was a playing for was playing the dollar store convention of all things. <laughs> oh, really? Had, yeah. <laughs> they got a lot of money though. So I guess, but anyway, well, sure, yeah. well, dollar store started about 30 miles from here down in Scottsville, Kentucky. So, okay. That's where they had the. So Fred and I agreed that we would come and we would just sneak in the back door and check this cat Doug out and see what we thought. And we, you know, he was good and he was, he was young and he had a nice look to him. So we said, okay, bring him to the farm. So we got to playing the things. Actually, it was really a real good thing for us because we decided like all young rock bands had somewhat loved and covered the blues mm-hmm. and done that thing. And I, I still think we really covered it a lot better than most, but we went back and said, you know, let's go back to the root, to the very dirt of this thing. Let's learn how to play uh, Chuck Berry songs, the way Chuck played them, not the way other bands do a take on it. Right. You know, being a guitar player, you can understand what I'm talking about. They didn't really, really know the, the technique properly. So where they would normally go, da, 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 you know, 
Chuck had Johnny. Well, Chuck had learned something from Johnny's left hand where he would go that, 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 like the left hand on the piano, which, you know, God bless Johnny for that. So <clears throat> Chuck picked up on that. So his, all of his music along with AB on drums and, uh, you know, uh, Johnny on piano. And of course, um, I'm sure, gosh, guys, I've gone blank. Uh, the <laughs> bass player, Willie Dixon. Yeah. Probably on a lot of those tracks of chess, but, uh, we learned, we got back and we went back and we studied, uh, Sonny boy Williamson, uh, you know, muddy, Howlin' Wolf, all, all the greats. And then we dug even deeper, the Robert Fulson, you know, all those guys and learned to do, um, what they did properly. And then we started to, to insert our originality and our writing into those vibes. And it had a whole lot to do with, uh, you know, I don't think country music ever realized when we were, you know, doing albums, the first couple of albums, well, the first album was actually our biggest song during that period of time was called Dumas Walker. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a, uh, it was actually a Chuck Berry shuffle. And then yep. uh, with Johnny's left hand, you know, because I learned how to emulate Johnny's left hand way before we ever played together and met him. And, and uh, you know, even the, our first single off that album uh, was a, a song that Bill Monroe wrote called Walks Off on His Heart of Mine. And mm -hmm. nobody could figure out what Fred was playing on drums because it was, it was a Bob Marley beat <laughs> in a country song. Yeah, so there, you, there you go. Now you know reggae like, country. That's your. That's a new reggae genre. country. <laughs> yes, and <clears throat> we were always pretty good at playing uh, Peter Tosh and Bob Marley songs, yeah. and uh, we learned. I don't know something about being in the hills of Kentucky. We had some kind of a knack for that. But uh, anyway, a lot of a lot of our songs, if you could dig into the background, you would find. A lot of Chuck Berry, a lot of the early blues guys, and that sort of thing. And I and I think you know probably uh, nineteen eighty six we got together and then we started our own radio show because at that time really we weren't too keen on uh, on you know getting a record deal. Both times we almost got one, we got our butts kicked, you know, by something terrible happening. So uh, we decided we'd create our own radio show. So. We went over to a station on I-65 that were friends of ours, Jim and Joey Berry. And <clears throat> Mr. Berry allowed Joey to let us come in on Tuesday nights. And we would literally set up live, just like in the 40s, 50s, or whenever, and play live, but it was rock and roll and blues. And, of course, people driving, it was only a 5,000-watt station, but it covered a pretty good area of uh, I-65. So people would be driving down the road, on dialing their radio and all of a sudden they got these knuckleheads on their live playing rock and roll music, mm -hmm. which people loved it. And sometimes we would actually like pull off the interstate, find out where we were and come. So it went from being just us and the engineer and Joey to like on Tuesday nights, there'd be a room full of people in there with us. And then the outside would be, 50 cars parked and everybody be out drinking beer and having a party it became a big <laughs> party. And, uh, and also it was becoming pretty popular and the word got down to Nashville, Tennessee about it. 
and uh, make it in the music business. You grow in the music business um, or into it. Because what we had found is all of our people we had met along the way in our travels uh, had wound up getting jobs in Nashville or New York uh, and became record executives and such. So everybody kept wanting us to come down. Hey, come down and do a showcase, man. We're like, no, oh, no, no, we'll pay. Because we had a radio show and we were just about at the point of, uh, we're just about at the point where we we're going to start getting sponsors like, you know, soft drink companies, beer companies or whatever. And then we could start bringing in the guys we really wanted to, like uh, a BB King or somebody like that for the show. And uh, anyway, we finally agreed to go do a showcase down at a place called Douglas Connor. And, you know, it being a country town or a music town, uh, we were a little uh, apprehensive. And so we went in and there was a guy that everybody was there to see that was real hot at the time, Leroy Parnell, who's a great slide player. And uh, so the place was jammed with record people. And Leroy did his thing. He got a deal that night with Arista Records, I recall. And so then we hop on stage. And the first thing is that walks off of that guitar. Well, I hit that guitar. And maybe if you thought somebody said bomb threat, people were filing out the doors, <laughs> running over the top of each other to get out. Too loud. That's rock and roll. It's da 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 da. What blues? And uh, so there was a guy left standing. It was there were three guys. One was a friend of ours who actually helped bring us to Atlanta back in the in the early days, and he had turned Harold Shedd, who was the president of Mercury Records, onto us. And a guy named Larry Shell, who was Harold's uh, publishing company guy. So all three of these guys are still standing there, uh, the waitresses, the bartender, and the sound guy. And that was it. We cleaned the room out. <laughs> and so Harold come over and he, you know, he said, Hey man, this little cassettes out of the back end of our, uh, cars or vans or whatever it shows in the Chitlin show. And we gave him one and he called us the next day and said, well, guys, we might be cooking hamburgers next year, but I got to try this. And <laughs> so we took our little album and sent us back in the studio to, to, you know, remix it. And, and, and we added two more songs that we already had recorded and, um, put it out and it, it came out and it changed our lives. It really did. It gave us a, a, a position where we were guaranteed to play music and could be maybe make a few dollars doing it or something. And uh, had it not been for Harold, that, that we, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation, boys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, a great, great, great guy. I got to tell something off the side here, though. Harold worked with a lot of people in the early days that were coal mine folks, and they supported Harold's ventures. And of course he signed Alabama or, I mean, produced them. He had produced a lot of, he was a chance taker. He always told me, he said, I don't mind being a dog. I just want to be the lead dog. And meaning I don't want to follow in the path and step where I don't need to step. And, uh, I never forgot that, but, uh, it just, uh, last two, three weeks ago in, uh, Eastern Kentucky, they had a, Harold Shed Day. They did a proclamation, hmm. and uh, 
they brought Harold up. Harold didn't know it, but they had booked us to play outdoors at a big street festival. So we actually brought him on stage and, and did the proclamation with the mayor and all this. So it was a, a big time fall. Little payback to Harold. <laughs> That's cool, though. That's cool. They yeah. recognized him and gave him that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he 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 put that uh, put that area on the map as well. Because actually, mm-hmm. there was a guy named Donnie Canada who loved the music, but couldn't couldn't play uh, any instruments. But he just happened to be one of the most wealthy coal guys in Eastern <laughs> Kentucky. So that was his end to uh, to. Uh, to the music business and rubbing shoulders with, um, the music folk. And, uh, I know, uh, someone told me a funny story about it when, when he first met Harold, Harold was, uh, driving this old rusted out Cadillac around Nashville and, uh, producing acts and that sort of thing. And when Donnie met him, he told his partner, uh, he said, uh, Hey, call up, order that boy a car where we don't look bad. <laughs> he sent him a, a brand new uh, white Mercedes uh, convertible nice. with blue top. <laughs> I guess Donnie was world class, you know, high class guy. Yeah, that's not. I mean, it's a pretty good ride, right? Smart there. businessman. How did Harold Shedd wind up a car like that all of a sudden? Everybody, you have to understand. Up until recently, Nashville, uh, before the advent of especially the internet, Nashville was three streets wide. If you if you wanted something told or you didn't want it told you just start down on 16th Avenue and tell one bunch of people. And by night it gets all the way through 16th, 17th, 18th in every building publisher, writer. It was a small, small community there. And of course, uh, with the growth of, uh, acceptance of the modern country music and that sort of thing, they branched out to where, a lot of people, I guess, are living in Brentwood or Franklin, Tennessee or Hendersonville. So it's it's not the same as it was. But uh, I was I was actually writing at Acre Rose Publishing Company um, for some time because all the other boys were play out playing pro gigs because, as I said earlier, they could play anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, well, I need – and so Mitchell hooked me up with the – Roy with Wesley Rose, who was part owner of Aka Froze Publishing, and the other part was owned by Roy by Roy Aka. So, I have a funny story about that. While I was down there, uh, one day this little skinny, bow-legged guy comes walking through the hallway with cowboy boots, laugh, cluck, 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 and he had on one of those crazy-looking jackets, those satin jackets, tour jackets they used to wear in the seventies, mm-hmm. you know. And he gets up to me and it's just a little, he looked like a little man carved out of cedar or wood or something. And he goes, what's your name, boy? And I said, well, I'm Richard Young, Mr. Acuff. It's a pleasure to meet you. And he said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I, I'm, I'm trying to write songs. He said, well, if you're going to work here, you get a haircut and just took off. <laughs> Never forgot that. But it was real funny. <laughs> it's a true story. And listen, so... <clears throat> When we, when the headhunters hit Nashville, uh, Bill Monroe was so happy that we had recorded one of his songs and it had stopped tons of records. He wanted us to be on the Grand Ole Opry, which, you know, didn't necessarily turn my crank at the time. So anyway, Roy wouldn't let us be on there because we had long hair. <laughs> so I said, well, he's still not over that hair, is he? 
And uh, so anyway, uh, just a, a quick <laughs> announcement is, hey, we're going to do something December 4th that I said I would never do, but I have, we're going to do it. Everybody else in the bands played on the Opry was backing up people. But we're going to be December the 4th, the Kentucky Headhunters, after 31 years, are going to subscribe and we're going to play the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, wow. Nice. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess I guess it's a pretty cool thing. That is cool. You know, um, you know I was more after Radio City Music Hall. Sure. Like that, <laughs> of course. You know, uh, had and I, I guess being local, because we're just 85 miles from Nashville, and it is the mother's church of country music. Yeah, right. I never really gave it a lot of thought. So, you know, my son that plays in Blackstone Cherry, John Fred, uh, I was telling him about it the other day, and I said, what do you think? Do you think we ought to do that? He said, oh, my God, Daddy, right, right. Daddy, we're going to bring our tour bus and bring everybody down. we got to see y'all play the opera. And I'm like, <laughs> That's legend. That's history. That's, that's le- awesome. I mean, that's a <laughs> yeah, big no, honor. I get it. <laughs> and look, as I said, we are and were and are still staunch rockers. And yep. that's our background. And listen, if it had not been for our first two albums being a part of country music, is we wouldn't have been able to meet our heroes in rock and roll. We wouldn't have been able to play with Johnny Johnson and Wright songs. It all had its place in time. So let's go. Grand Ole Opry, <laughs> here we go. That's cool. That's cool. I'm, I'm excited for you guys. Yeah, Congrats on that. I got a question yeah, for you, Richard. You mentioned uh, yeah, you referenced uh, James Howard uh, uh, Driver, and you mentioned Beaver Creek, you know, both, both referenced in Beaver Creek Mansion. So I was wondering, like, that song has been credited to you guys, and then uh, it's been also been credited to uh, Sam Bush. So I'm just wondering if you could uh, elaborate on that and the, the the subject matter of the song. It's a, I love that song. Great song. Oh, what a song. Actually, <clears throat> that was written by a, a, a good friend of ours that used to play in the Headhunters, Mark Orr. What a rock and roll singer. And, uh, you know, for a short period of time, there was, there was a little bit of a split between the band members mm-hmm. uh, and not Fred, Greg and I, uh, we actually got Anthony, uh, our cousin who played bass to come in. And it was, it was really a good feeling when that happened. And of course, everything eventually swirled around and Doug came back to the band, which was great. And that's the way the band started the four of us. And, uh, but Mark, you know, I always felt really good about him coming into the band because when we were sitting listening to the Beatles White Album, he was in Ashaw Valley in Hamburger Hill with the 101st Airborne. So uh, for him to finally step into the shoes in a rock band that was playing for whatever, you know, how many thousand people or what, and get to do that, which that was his dream as well, you know. But Mark, had he, he had a really great, insight to what it was like down on our family farm and uh like my mom's cooking uh my dad's philosophy and talking about history and english and all over the world that sort of thing and mark sat back and had a perspective of that and that's what that song's about because it says in our james howard hill right there on james howard hill 
James Howard Young is our dad. And our mother was Gwen, Mama Gwen. So, and uh, then Jakey is the uh, African-American gentleman that helped raise us. That was raised by my grandmother, along with my dad. He lost his parents in 1940-something. And she raised him. He was raised with daddy. And when uh, daddy left and went to college, uh, Jakey stayed on. And uh, he never imagined a... Uh, I always kind of have the two of them, my grandmother and Jakey, as uh, like a hillbilly version of driving Miss Daisy, so to speak. <laughs> my, my grandma always had a, a, a right new Cadillac car, um, and uh, <laughs> she would, Jakey would drive her around everywhere in it, but you'd see them going down the road with four or five bales of hay in this Cadillac in the truck, <laughs> which is insane. But I'm, I'm always. Hey, listen, I've worked hard on the farm, boys. Fred, my, my brother, and I both, uh, um, you know, worked hard on the farm sure. and the hay and tobacco when we were kids. I mean, we're we're no stranger to blisters on our hands. But I, I do tend to like uh, what we do for a living. And we, you know, Fred and I still have, we have about 120 head of beef cattle. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, some chore. And uh, uh, so... We also have a, a lot of beans and corn and tobacco on our farm. And all the boys we grew up with became professional farmers. You know, they got the John Deere combines and all this. And they uh, they actually raised beans and corn and tobacco on our farm. So that keeps the farm in good shape. Heck yeah. The only problem with it is we don't have enough ground for hay by doing that. So Fred and I wind up having to buy a bunch of hay every winter, which is is okay. And it keeps the farm looking good because, uh, you know, our farm's not the one like you would see a horse farm in Lexington. The fences are overgrown, like over in England, like hedgerows and that sort of thing. And, uh, <clears throat> we just, we just, uh, we like it that way. Yeah. You know? Beautiful. I'm sure it's beautiful. The only, the only problem is like, if the cows are horses, they eat through the honeysuckle on the fence and they say, Hey guys, there ain't no fence here. Let's go. <laughs> You know, go visit it. Let's go over to the neighbor's clover patch, you know. <laughs> so we have to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, can we get into the new record and, and like go from when that was just a germ of idea and to uh, writing it, recording it? Yeah, man. I just get me a little nicotine here to get them to move along. <laughs> I, I don't smoke anymore. I chew cigars for 21 years now. So, um, to be honest with you, we, the headhunters usually do you know, anywhere from about 65 to 75, 80 shows a year. Mm -hmm. So um, all of a sudden, uh, you know, a year ago, I guess it was about a year ago uh, in February, dates started falling out. And we weren't really sure. They were just, they were canceling because of the virus. They right. Said. And actually the last gig we played before it hit was the Birchmere, uh, you know, in up in, uh, Virginia next to Washington, DC across the river. So it was a great way to stop for a while, but <clears throat> all of a sudden all these dates started moving. And then March the 12th of a year ago, March the 12th, mm -hmm. they sent everybody in the music business home. They said, okay, everybody get your tablet, your work stuff, go home to further notice. And that actually 
didn't change until June 1st of this year. Everybody started gradually going back to work, mm -hmm. but, uh, we wound up in 2020, we only played eight shows and most of them didn't cancel. Most of them wanted to head on this play. So they just held their deposit and moved to this year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so we think, okay, well, a bunch of them had to be crammed into February, March, and uh, which is normally still a light time for touring. And uh, all of a sudden, these dates started falling out and moving. And so next thing we know, we got no shows in February, March. And I just called the guys. I said, look, man, we, we're a band. We got to do something. So that's how the in, initial conversation started. Uh so let's just go record an album. If we can't play live, at least we can have some fun doing an album. And so we moved into, uh, you know, back recording, which is where we've been recording for years with David. And, uh, you, I, you know, we really didn't, we didn't have time to really get together and everybody had little ideas on cassette tapes or whatever, you know, but we did normally we would go to the practice house and we'd get in a room there and, and just say, okay, what do you got? Okay. All right, cool. Let's do it. Let's work on it like this or whatever. Everybody pitches in and writes, we all write together. And, uh, <clears throat> we, it came like such a cold period of time. You'd have to know this practice house. It doesn't have running water and it doesn't have heat. So the only way you can heat in there is with kerosene heaters or, or blower heaters. It does have electricity, obviously, or we couldn't run Marshall Ave. Right. But, uh, but uh, is that the one we uh, saw TJ showed us, Brian? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. Had the TJ house down the farm. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know it's pretty. Did he show you that? He's it, it's so dirty right now. We haven't been able to get last in there. year, last spring when all those stuff shut down, and he was working with you on something or another. Oh yeah, we were writing. Uh, actually, that's probably TJ when he was down that trip. We actually. Uh, you know, I don't know. You'll see when the album comes out. TJ actually has a couple of co-writes on the album with us. Oh, nice. Yeah, good kid, yeah, man. Yeah. What a good kid. Good singer. Oh, God. Yeah, they're, all those boys are just, just the nicest they're boys. Incredible. They're our favorite. Yeah, they're some of our favorites. Well, believe me, guys. I, you know, after helping Blackstone Terry, I never dreamed in a million years that I would. Well, we can talk about that. We'll talk about the boats in a minute. But I guess to finish what I was going to say about doing the album is so we move into the studio unrehearsed with, you know, a handful of little cassette ideas. And the first day we got there and set up, it usually takes about a day to, to really set up and get sounds and that sort of thing. But we kind of pride ourselves at being able to go bang, 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 you know, and record. And, you know, David got into the mixture and we just sat there for about three hours and looked at each other. And well, what about this? What about that? And finally, Doug took his headphones off and he said, this COVID has made our heads mush. And, <laughs> you know, we, and then all of a sudden, you know, this was daytime. We're kind of a nighttime rollers, you know, ramblers or whatever. So about the time it started to get dark, we started cooking. And then from then on, it's like riding a bicycle. We had it, you know, and, and uh, we spent a few days. And then we came back and, and spent some more mix and that sort of thing. But, but I can, I can, as I listen to the album is I can definitely tell normally the headhunter records for the most part 
are pretty freewheeling and, uh, you know, strictly party music mm-hmm. and, uh, or things you can dance to or whatever. But I can see from our writing and where we were is we, we all had something to say, uh, from all this virus stuff, not to mention everything else that was going on in our country. Uh, we'll leave that out of it, but you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. over the year. And just so such an influx of all this stuff at one time, you know, we've, we've lived in a, uh, in the United States, we've lived in a, a very protected little world. And all of a sudden we had people passing away mm-hmm. that we knew in numbers and then all this other mess going on, uh, you know, in the government or whatever. And I think it really, it really shook the headhunters up. Especially, I think it shook everybody up. A lot of yeah, people it it shook me up. I, I, believe me, we ain't Lone Ranger. No, I, right. as musically I'm speaking. Sure. sure. Yeah. We, we did. We've never allowed anything. We've always been pretty freewheeling and, and hope that the, you know, whatever happens, you know, uh, a good, the good Lord's got a way for us to go on and that sort of thing. But this was, this was a whole nother animal we mm-hmm. were dealing with. And, uh, I think, I think you'll, you'll see that in the music. I, I guess we tried to be very positive, uh, rather than, uh, damning yeah. everybody. We tried to create an album to make people feel better and, uh, which we always did in our own way. Yeah, you know, Richard, you said something's very interesting. So we've been doing this podcast over a year. We've talked to a lot of bands, artists through the COVID times here. And like what you said has been pretty consistent is, you know, you would think people would be very melancholy, sad, like write this sad, but people are really coming out writing very positive stuff. People want to have fun again. They don't want to be sad. And so you're kind of right on when it really, you know, I would have expected the opposite, but everybody seems to be writing very energetic. It's true. And I, I was just, uh, <clears throat> I take vintage guitar magazine and, uh, I always try to read everybody's review, whether it's something that I'm into or not, just to sure. learn. And, and I found for the most part that everybody has been trying to make music that, uh, uh, is uplifting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 We're tired of bad times, dark times, sad yeah, times, man. right? Let's get on with it. You know, I mean, uh, I do notice that the um, my wife has been really a sergeant in arms with me about about it because uh, I don't mind saying I, I have several stents in my heart. I had a heart attack on stage in two thousand. Uh, hereditary man, little mm-hmm. vessels you can stop up. Yeah, and I've been very fortunate to go on many years after that, twenty one years in play, and so she was very concerned about me. So I agreed to take the uh, one shot deal and I'm so glad I did. Because, oh, we are too. <clears throat> well, we thought naturally you think when you're in a band, uh, oh, it, or, well, you always think a band or not, everybody says, oh, well, it, it won't get me. It gets everybody else. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a human nature of us right. to think we can outrun something. And, uh, and that, that's true of everybody everywhere in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad I took it because we played the gig. Uh, I won't mention the town or wherever. It's a pretty good piece from here. And uh, 
we were supposed to play outside and it was a cool setting, had a great outdoor, uh, you know, they brought in the stage and lighting and <clears throat> it had like volleyball tents and sand and all this stuff. And all of a sudden it gave, started giving 75% chance rain and we could see this dark cloud coming. And the, the guy that, that was putting on the concert came to me and said, man, look, he said, uh, this wasn't the plan, but what do you think about moving this in the door so we don't have to can't call it the concert? And I said, okay, let's go. And <clears throat> so basically, <clears throat> excuse me, fellas, um, we had to move what would be a couple thousand people into a building that probably wasn't supposed to have over 1,500 maybe. Mm. So <clears throat> it was like this. Everybody crowds together. So uh, the next night after that, show you how potent this stuff can be. We were on stage in Indiana or Illinois and all of a sudden water started pouring from my nose. And I mean, it was embarrassing to be honest with you. <laughs> I go back and get the towel off my hand. I wipe it off and this just keeps coming. I said, what in the world is going on? And then, so when we got home, uh, by that time, Fred, my brother was starting to have signs of a sinus infection. So, uh, we went, got tested and we were negative. So our doctor started, gave us a, a big bottle of, uh, 850 milligram amoxicillin. Mm-hmm. He said, must be a sinus infection. Y'all get them all the time to tour. And so by the next weekend though, uh, when we were getting ready to get on the bus, somebody looked at my eyes and they go, man, what's going on? You look like a demon. And I went and looked in the bus mirror and sure enough, my eyes were bloodshot red. And so we had to play a gig the next day and our crew guys were so glad they hadn't taken a shot. So when we got to the gig, they got off the bus and they said, go get tested. So we called the local sheriff and he took me to the emergency room and I was positive. Yeah. So it was red. Well, come to find out, the Georgia Thunderbolts had opened that gig for us where we caught this three of the boys got it. Oh yeah. So all of a sudden that's six guys and two bands that caught this, but it, was, it wasn't funny, but it was kind of funny because our crew guys would not get back on the bus the rest of the day. And they called one of them's dad to drive. <laughs> I don't know how far and come and pick them up in these pickup truck. Cause they weren't about to even look at getting back on that. Bus sure. and I, so but it obviously was quite contagious, but, uh, uh, Steve, our sound man got it at the same time we did. And he and Fred, neither one had the shot. And I will say guys, uh, not pushing, uh, medicine. Cause I don't know a lot about medicine, but I do know I have a, I have more friends that didn't have to go to the hospital yeah. because they took a shot than the ones that same. Yeah. Same. So Brian, Brian and I yeah, took our shots. We want to go watch live music and not get sick. Yeah. And and listen, remember now, I did have COVID after I took the shot. Yeah. But it was a guy with my wife. You didn't go to the hospital. Hey, I weigh 270. I got nine stents in my heart. You know, it's being a little personal, well, maybe, but I want to make an impression on people that, you know, especially if you do have medical complications, right. uh, I, I'd be I, like, a, what's your name? Said, run to church run the run the shot because and hey it might make you a little sick so get over it but nothing like what it would if you don't take it 
Yeah, no, no, for sure. And we're glad that you did and you're healthy and you're with us now. Yeah, I'm doing well. We're back touring and and having a good time. We just we just came in this past weekend. We were in uh, Texas and Oklahoma. And I, I got to share a story with you guys. I, I know I probably shouldn't. It's, it's, <laughs> it's on our best me. favorite kind. <laughs> it's on me. And thank goodness it didn't make video. But so <clears throat> my brother and I like to cut up a lot, you know, together. But so we we played this place down in Texas. And it was uh, it was a huge room. But it also, if the crowd got too big or it got hot, they, they had like six garage doors that would open. And then it, it would be. That's my dog. Sorry. It, okay. So I'm Ryan surprised. and I have dogs and one yeah. of them barks every podcast. Just I have know. To go, I told just to my wife, I said, I said, if, uh, if, if, if somebody comes to the door, we got a little bitty dog and it just, yep, 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 yep. yep. And I said, I've got one of those two. Gonna be in video. So uh, I can't walk out. Run. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> anyway, this place was jammed down in Texas. Great show, you know, two, three stand ovations, whatever. And uh, so we got ready to walk off the stage. We're all standing in front of the stage, and Fred starts to walk off. And I said, and they were going, you know, hey, one more or whatever. And uh, I said, let's do one more. And uh, Fred said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, let's do Crazy Jim. And Crazy Jim is a song from one of our old albums. If people hadn't heard it and they want to feel good, I, I, I recommend listening to it, downloading it or whatever. And Fred said, no, man, let's don't end with that. That's a downer song. And I said, it is not. We're standing on stage talking about this song. I said, it's a very fast. He said, you just want to be a sad clown tonight. And I said, say what? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> is, he starts to walk off stage. I said, no, I'm get back on the drum. And so anyway, Fred does this big spin around me. As he did, it kind of spun me around and my guitar cord wrapped around my feet. And because it was a small stage, uh, even though there's a lot of people, there's a small stage, we have the two base cabinets. We carry an 810 and then we carry a, a 210. So we had chosen to use the 210 for room space. And uh, it's real, it's kind of short, you know, a little over knee high. Well, anyway, when I got that cord wrapped around my feet, I, I'm here like, you know, this great big wobbling like Humpty Dumpty or something. <laughs> and I go backwards over the base cabinet. Oh. And as I'm going, I grab Fred, and he's trying to grab me to hold me. Honey, we fell straight into his drum set. <laughs> I'm talking about double bass drums whenever everywhere. <laughs> it was the funniest thing it ever was. And of course, Doug and Greg didn't see it happen. So Greg looks around, and he comes running over like, are you okay, man? Because Fred immediately jumped up like, I didn't fall, you know. <laughs> but there I am. And somehow or another, I don't know how it happened. But Fred's hi hat, you know, it's got something that sticks up, you know, tall above the hi hat. Yeah. It went between my guitar strap and my back. So oh. I, every time I'm trying to get up, actually <laughs> on double bass, you have the hi hat tied to the left bass drum. Yeah. Just pulling everything <laughs> so every over. Every time I was trying to get up, I was trying to pick up that big 28 inch bass drum and a hi hat, but I couldn't do it. So finally, Fred and Greg pulled me up. Poor Doug, he's standing there with his bass on. And just looking, he's in shock that this happened. Of course, nothing like that had ever happened on stage with us in 53 years. 
And that's what we get for clowning around on a small stage. But uh, Derek Crump, who works with the band and does our monitors and staging, he's made a picture of the drums and he sent it to John Fred. He said, you guys think y'all are rock and roll? Look what happened on the Headhunter stage tonight. Just like the Who, man. You know, so it's, it's pretty funny. I'm going to search YouTube for this. Somebody has to have video somewhere. I, I swear they don't. Oh, well, listen, man. No, because we t- we tried every way in the world, you know, uh, uh, of course, to find it. And, and you know, so I'm glad in a way it wasn't because I'm sure probably – my guitar every time I try to get up was around my neck like this. <laughs> but that's just something funny to share with you guys and the folks. And out nobody there got that, hurt. Nobody got hurt. Well, I got a little pride. Uh, no, it didn't hurt my pride. I'm I'm a hard guy to embarrass boys. I really <laughs> am. I've had about everything in the world happen to me. So as uh all the rest of the band will always say, you know, about the guy who used to eat the cereal, you know, everybody says, Get Richard to do it. He'll do anything, you know. <laughs> yeah, Michael, eat anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Michael eat anything. But uh, speaking of food, boy, I like to eat. I love food, as you can tell. But uh, I really don't eat that much. I just have certain things that I, I really like a lot. But uh, I've just in the past recent years learned by going out to Montana and places like that how to cook steaks. Mm. Uh, you know, just just a little recipe um, treat from Richard. <clears throat> if you want to cook a ribeye, you know, normally people get them an inch thick. Go ahead and get them an inch and a half thick. Well, that's what the cowboys taught me out west. Because normally if you cook a steak, it sometimes can get too dry. Yeah. So, and my wife thinks it's just taboo, but I do it anyway when, with as high as meat is these days. I put, after the grill gets hot and the coals ready, I, I take Reynolds wrap and I turn the ends up and I put that steak on that. And, and the reason I do that as the juices yep. flow, they're still there and they're not going into the fire, you know, which also creates the fire to get well, bigger. Well, with all the fat from the ribeye. Yeah. yeah, ribeye's got a lot yeah. of fat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try that sometime, you know, get okay. your favorite rub and put on both sides real well. <clears throat> I'm getting hungry. Uh, <laughs> I put mine in a cast iron skillet yeah. and, and fry, you know, sear it and then broil it. Oh yeah, the, well, that's another way. You yeah, put it in the black skillet and sear it. And yeah, then take it off the grill. Yeah. Now what I will do when when it's to the to the cook uh, desire is I'll take the Reynolds wrap off and just lay it on the grill so it has the grilled look. Yep. You know. Yeah. You get the lines. Yeah. 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 Which makes it, uh, you know, uh, more palatable to some folks, probably. So we got about. Guys, I, hope, I, I, I apologize for clearing Sorry. my throat every second. You're fine. That's, Don't uh, worry about it. Allergies seem to be my, my new. Uh, I'm in Ohio, and I'm your neighbor in Ohio here, and I just—it's a bad time here. It is. Yeah. Are you where? What part of Ohio? Uh, I grew up in Cincinnati, but I currently live in the Columbus area. Oh, but you're a river rat, though, so you know all about allergies. Dude, I'm a river rat. Like, my high school was a Little Miami High School originally. We were – our nickname was the River Rats because we were on the Little Miami oh, River. <laughs> yeah, well, Greg, just so you know, Greg, Greg's a, is a river rat. He, oh. uh, grew up, he grew up in Louisville till we were fresh. He was a freshman. Yep. <clears throat> so, but uh, we've got a lot of great friends. Matter of fact, two of our crew guys 
Uh, one of them just retired uh, after being with us 21 years. He hmm. couldn't uh, go out because of this COVID thing. Had yeah. An issue. Yeah, I hear that, man. Steve Wilson, our sound guy, is still with us, and he's uh, from Louisville as well. So, uh, but anyway, it's a uh, it's a great little journey we've taken. Still, uh, a lot of people might say that we've taken. I like to always think that we're going to be doing this. You're still forever. on the journey. It's not over. <coughs> yeah, no. You're, on, you're in the journey. On the journey. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's a good way. We're in a journey. Um, I know a lot of local folks around here say, Richard, when are you guys going to give us up and retire? And I said, what spell that retire for me, please? <laughs> Why? Sure Why retire? Hey, this. listen, we're following in the footsteps of Charlie Daniels and B.B. King and others. Dusty Hill, Resty Soul. Um, it's what are we going to do? You know, stay at home and, and uh, do nothing. Just, you know, drive around, count our cows. <laughs> we can do that in a few hours. You know, your wives we, will get tired of you guys. Uh, oh, you have no idea. Uh, <clears throat> that's another thing on this COVID note. Uh, there's a lot of adjustment for everybody. But I will say, that I kind of figured my wife and I would kill each other while mm -hmm. we were off and I was home and <clears throat> we became very, very close. Yeah. Same for me too. Same. Yeah. Same. I mean, we just, you know, we both knew we had to do it, I guess, in the back of our minds, but <clears throat> I never watched TV. Uh, I don't have time really. And, you know, then all I had was time. And so, I actually got two or three shows during the week that I'd say, what time does our show come on? You know, <laughs> which was unheard of for me. You're not watching and, General uh, Hospital, are you? You're not I watching like the soap operas. I can't recall what they are. <laughs> no, you know, you know what's happened though with soap operas. Um is you know, soap operas used to with were daytime TV, you know, all the husbands would come home and uh and expect to see a loving wife, and she'd been watching soap operas all day. She's ready to cut his throat, you know. <laughs> now what's happening? They got this these shows on television about um, uh, bitchy housewives or whatever. Yeah, called. yeah, we're all housewives. All yeah, and, oh. and, it's like I, my, and my wife actually gets duped into watching <laughs> some of this. And I said, "Why do you do this to yourself?" Did I just want to see if rich folks still fight. <laughs> yeah, money don't help things, baby. Makes it worse. Human nature is human nature. Human nature it is. Yeah, so man. So we've got about 10 minutes here. Uh, do we have time for Thunderbolts uh, quick story? Or should we wrap up? Yeah, man. Oh, you boy. I can't believe we've been sitting here for an hour and a half. We have to have <laughs> you back. You know that, right? Oh, I'd love it. i tell you what you got to do at some point. Get all four band members and and. Uh, if you really want to have some fun, we got to get Fred Young. All right. He's crazy. Yeah. So the Georgia Thunderbolts, uh, you know, as I said earlier, of course, the Blackstone Cherry started rehearsing in our old farmhouse 21 years ago, actually, and 20 years ago. And uh, they asked me if they could move into the house. And I said, well, sure enough, saying, okay, they're going to burn it down. You know, we've been there all these years. And I had a little office at that time in there and, uh, you know, had a computer, uh, not in a computer, I had a, uh, printer and a, uh, fax machine. That's what you called them. 
you know, you find them today in the pawn shops. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so they came in and they immediately started writing original songs. So I helped them write songs and get started and, and got them up to New York, and got them a record deal. And, um, you know, never, never did I ever think after 20 years that I would run into another band that really, really turned my crank, you know, that, that I had found something unique. And uh, I love all bands I see and the bands yeah. that open for us, but it takes something for that spark to explode something, you know, and I was sitting on the back of the bus. We were playing and these kids were opening for us and I had the window open a little bit. When it kicked in, I said, Hmm, we might ought to turn the steam up a little bit tonight. And then this kid TJ opens his mouth and I go, boy, you know, <laughs> and I went running outside. I don't remember I, I, real very quickly. I'll say, and I grabbed me a chair and I sat over the side of the stage and I watched them play the whole set. And guys, I literally was taken back. I felt like that I had uncovered, unearthed a time capsule of mm -hmm. some band that was supposed to be on Capricorn Records or something. In the 70s. That, 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 and, and, and some reason or another, they were buried in this, this you know, Sandy Saul of Georgia and nobody knew about them because the thing these kids have is they're original. They're from Georgia. That there's no, they can't, they don't know how to imitate being a Southern rock band. They're just that. And I just fell in love with them. And I talked to them after the show and I said, well, what are you guys going to do with this? And they said, Oh, we're going to be lifers. Y'all on Blackstone Cherry. And I said, let's go. <laughs> We they came to Kentucky and we cut their album, and it was and, just uh, released last Friday. And we had uh, Riley on to talk about it last Friday. That Riley's a piece of work. He is. <laughs> you know, I love him. I said, I said, Riley, you know, you play pretty good guitar, but you know the coolest thing about you. And he said, What's that? And I said, Your name Riley. That's BB King's real name. Yep. <laughs> and I said, Very <laughs> few people in rock and roll could get away with Riley, but uh, every one of those children are just the greatest and they lean on every word I say. And, uh, you know, the same way Blackstone Cherry did and, and they, they want to learn yeah. and they want to not step in the wrong direction and do things. And that's what it has to be. I, I don't care if I discovered Led Zeppelin, if they didn't have that, that personality of kindness and, and the meant the means to do right. And that sort of thing, then, I wouldn't want to work with them, but, uh, they got all, they got this package, man. It's all there. Yeah, man. And, uh, I, I have the highest hopes for them and, uh, people love them, you yeah, know, not just them. musicians, yep. but as when they meet them yep. as people, I can't wait for you guys to actually see them in person. Oh, and, I have. I saw Jason them with Tyler Bryant in the oh, shakedown. Oh, did you? Ago. Yep. Great. I even have a signed set list from those guys too. Ah, they started out with Witness. That's too heavy. <laughs> then Midnight Rider was number two. I, I had them doing uh, Be Good to Yourself. I'm glad you showed me that. Well, you just got them in a bunch of trouble. No. <laughs> you're you're welcome, boys. I'm kidding. I knew they were doing that. You know, but they. I told them, you got you to gotta stagger your set, you know. And so uh, uh, we got plenty of time to work on sets, you know. 
Well, I'm excited about your new album, which comes out this Friday. We're talking to you on a, a Tuesday. Album comes out Friday. It's That's a Fact Jack, first single. Love it. It's got that bluesy sound to it, the Kentucky Headhunter sound. I, you know, I can't wait for it to show up at my door. Hey, man, I appreciate it, guys. And, and thank you for having, uh, having me on and having Greg earlier. We'll have to get Doug and Fred on, but we've especially got to get Fred because he's an extremely colorful <laughs> little chat. Yeah. Oh, we'd love to. We'll get we'll get the whole band on anytime you want, uh, sometime soon and whenever. We, right, Brian? That is true indeed. We'd so to, we'll have to get teach Fred how to do Zoom. And by the <laughs> well, way, thank you, gentlemen, uh, Jason and Brian, for having yeah. patience with me. Uh, it being my first Zoom uh, interview, you did great. We've had plenty of people get on who couldn't get like who've used Zoom who couldn't get on. So you, you, my friend, are like top echelon of like success wow. on this thing. Well, hats off to my little South Central telephone buddy, Anthony, for helping me, Thomas, for helping me out. And uh, I look forward to seeing you guys somewhere down the road. I, yep, well, you can count on it. Come around Ohio somewhere close and I will be there. I All right. In, I live in Fargo, North Dakota. So I think you guys <laughs> played the country, the country uh, uh, moon dance. River yeah, oh, we, we so, get up to North Dakota every once in a while. They got a couple of, of really cool casinos up there, too. Right, right, right. You know, back in the day, I wouldn't let the band play the casinos because I still had this memory of uh, Elvis. You know, when he played casinos, they weren't uh, the same thing. A little tinsel town for us. But, uh, you know, to be honest with you, the casinos now have some of the best mm -hmm. sound lighting and staging and room for concerts. And it's a, a great situation. We just played one in Hinton, Oklahoma this past Saturday night. And uh, I guess held 3,500 people or something. And it was such an intimate crowd and everybody was right there, you know, uh, like a movie theater or something. And uh, I think, you know, there's ways to see the headhunters, but, uh, First off, if you could see us in a club setting, that's one atmosphere. But the uh, and then playing the the uh, huge concert outdoor concerts where they have tens of thousands of people, those are fun. Yeah. But my favorite is when we play the old renovated theaters, and it's just got you can clap and you don't even hardly have need a microphone, you know. And uh, especially if you're Tony Bennett, you know that guy <laughs> saying, you know. Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, Richard Young from the Kentucky Headhunters. You can go to KentuckyHeadhunters.net to find everything you need to find out com. about the band. Dot com. Dot com? Yeah. Okay. Well, that dot net is a is a mistake, but it'll take you there. Oh, but okay. I always say dot com because that's the one we came up with originally, and some screwball did the net thing. So <laughs> you know, and uh, we are. I guess we're on um, Instagram. I'm, there's Facebook, little, Instagram. Uh, that's another little animal I got to attack. I got to learn how to do Instagram. Boys, well, I, if I, I can I, learn it, you can learn it. Trust me. I just learned how to use it for this podcast. All right. Really? Thank you, Richard. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, if you can hang out for just a couple minutes after we get done rolling, that'd be great. Yes, sir. Well, I'm speechless. <laughs> well, these guys are great. These, these dudes that have been around and been part of rock history and seen it, they have so many stories to tell. I wish we had more time with him. Like I didn't have time and he didn't have time. So we need to get him, we need to get him back on for more stories. I mean, just 
Brian, these are like Greg and Richard and all these guys. I could just sit there and just, just let them talk for hours and not even have to interject. We should have a round table with Andy Aldort, JD Simo, yes. <laughs> Richard, all the guys from the Headhunters, Greg, maybe hopefully Luther Dickinson. Like that would just be like, we wouldn't even say anything. We're just like, no, we just turn guys, it on go. and talk. <laughs> mute our, Seriously. Mute our microphones and listen to these guys just go on and on. And it's so cool because you know, it just kind of, it's in a hilarious, great way. It's like the, kind of a high speed chase. <laughs> and then we're yeah. talking about breakfast and steak and eggs and right. Oh, and like we're it, back it into the music business. We're trying to promote your album and we barely talk yeah, about the album. But it's fucking great, man. It's hilarious. I'm just like, I was just like laughing in the best kind of way. Um, oh man, the fishbowl story. I can't fishbowl with the that. tapes and the Led Zeppelin connection. <laughs> like there's just, there's so much there. And I love hearing the, the story, like, you know, their, um, their background stories or origin stories and how all that stuff started and just every, everything. And just, again, those guys are so nice. They've taken the Georgia Thunderbolts and other people underneath their wings. Yep. Blackstone Cherry has, of course, the family connection, but just good people making good music and helping everybody else around the around, around them. And it, it, it's impossible not to root for those guys. And it's impossible not to get a great feeling after you've been talking to him and you talk to him on and off here and there. And, yeah. uh, you know, and like I, we mentioned in the intro, you know, it's that rural, rural vibe and just down, to strong, earth, down to earth, normal people, regular strong people. family tradition. And they got cows and they got hay and they got some other crops and it's like tobacco. When do you guys find the time corn. to do that, man? <laughs> like, Hire people. Yeah, probably. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and uh, I also enjoyed uh, getting a little bit of a deeper dive into uh, Beaver Creek Mansion, you know, the song yeah. that's written about their upbringing. That's just a great song. I love that song. We just have to have a Georgia, oh, in Georgia, a Kentucky Headhunters um, just episode with, we, you know, if we can get Fred and Richard and Greg, whoever we can get and just have them, have them talk, like kind of like you said, your roundtable, but it would be the Kentucky Headhunters yeah. roundtable. Or for or sure, Blackstone we, Cherry with them, like get the families, oh, we, yeah. yeah, and have them. I mean, yeah, well, we're maybe working on something similar to that coming up. Yeah, um, well, we've had Chris but, Robertson on, you know, so we've already had Blackstone Cherry members on. Yeah, and my my wheels are spinning about something about that in the spring, you know, getting that lined up. I mean, Greg, he's like chatting with him, and he keeps. We got to do another disco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We got to do the disco discussion. Because remember, we got into that whole disco discussion talking about, uh, you know. Uh, uh, the, Bee Gees? What's the, the Bee Gees when I was asking hey kind of what's one of your um, albums or songs or bands that you'd like uh, that we'd be surprised to hear that you like and you get into good discussions on that and like I know Greg was very uh, help you know happy that you started that Facebook fan page for those guys too and yeah, some nice comments, yeah so. that's awesome that's awesome so hopefully you guys can check that out as well and uh, join it Join it. What's next to Ken? Kentucky Headhunters fan page. Join right? it and uh, wait for more Kentucky themes to pop up and discussions that we'll have with those wonderful guys and people. And before you sign off, I have something to tell our listening audience. Help us out, please. Whatever platform you're listening to our podcast, please go in and give us a rating, drop us a review, uh, keep growing all that for us. That helps us market ourselves to guests at the same time we appreciate it we know if you're listening that you like us so rate us and review us and until then remember southern rock is reverent blues is blood we'll see you next time
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hanson, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 